Look at that. The technology is working once again. All right. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. If you've been in the faith any amount of time, I'm sure you're probably familiar with this passage. Uh, we're going to take a look at it this morning, and we're going to see, we're going to look at the, the issue of the weights that it refers to. But we're going to give a bunch of background first before we get to the weights so that we can understand what it's talking about when it talks about the weights. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Wayne, did, did Pastor Dave, was he the one who provided the video for Sunday school? Okay, I don't know if he knew what exactly what I was going to be speaking on this morning when he thought about that, but you know, that was about Eric Liddell, uh, the famous uh, Olympic athlete from England in 1924 in the Olympics in Paris, France, and he ran in several events and got some medals, and then later on he went to China to become a missionary, and so this video on Sunday school was about that. Uh, he was a, a, a runner, and that's what this uh, our key passage is about this morning, is, is the race, the Christian race. So I didn't plan that. Um, I don't know if Dave planned it. I'll have to ask him when I see him. So it's <laughs> sort of funny. So let's, um, let's go ahead and read our, our key passage. All right. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Now, uh, when I got on the, the board not quite three years ago, we went with the Pastor Dave's, he had, the, he had all the elders up at his house for the first meeting of that new board. And he asked each one of us, you know, just to share some background. One of the things he asked us to share was, burdens that are on our heart. And when it got to me, I, I said, I, I basically have two burdens when it comes to um, speaking or using the gift of teaching. And, and one of them is the creation-evolution conflict. And the other is uh, the issue in our day of weak Christianity. Weak Christianity. Now, I'm not going to weary your minds with creation-evolution this morning. That, I'm not even going to touch that. So don't worry about that. <laughs> But we are going to address weak Christianity, and, and on the board we've been wanting to focus on that. That's been our, our, our major thing to look at, is, and Pastor Dave's using the word discipleship, and that's what the word has pretty much been for generations, and, and to some degree maybe that's not in vogue as much now, but I think it's the perfect word, it's in scripture, and, and so I'm going to use that word to describe the opposite of weak Christianity. If there's, there's either weak Christianity or discipleship-based Christianity. And this passage is talking about discipleship-based Christianity. What's the context of this passage? Well, this is in Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is the writer, who a lot of people think is Paul, but I won't say it's Paul because I don't know for sure. But uh, he's addressing the Hebrews back in the first century. And he's trying to get them to see that all that Old Testament system, all the law and all the sacrifices and the ceremonies, 
All that is supposed to be looking forward to what Jesus did when he came and died as the perfect sacrifice. So this writer spending all these chapters getting them to see, hey, you need to leave that stuff behind. Come to Jesus. He's the final sacrifice. He's what God was wanting to provide all along. Come to him and lay aside what was there before and come to Jesus. And in chapter 10, he's talking about a couple of chapters before this one that you need to persevere in the doing of that. You, we put our faith in Jesus. We need to persevere. We don't want to go back. For, for them, it was they didn't want to go back to the Old Testament law because they were tempted to do that because of the pressures. No, they need to persevere in, in, in following Christ and, and having faith in him. And then chapter 11, he spends the whole time in that chapter talking to them about examples of great saints of the past who had faith and what that looked like. And finally, he gets through all of that, and he comes to chapter 12, and he says, therefore, that, that word that students of the Bible like so much, why is it there? So he said, therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, talking about all these people from the past who showed what faith is like, since we have them as examples, um, we need to look at that. So then the writer goes on, he describes um, what we should do in light of that. And so that's where we get to our first uh, thing in the, in the outline there. In fact, the Christian life is like a race. And obviously the key passage makes it very clear when he's talking about run the race that's set before us. And a lot, I think that's why a lot of um, students of the scripture think that this, the writer of this is Paul because he makes a lot of reference to racing and some of his other letters. We're going to look at some of those this morning. What I want to do is I want to look at all the different, uh, or not all of them, but many of the different places in Scripture that use this metaphor of racing to, to show what the Christian life is like. And uh, one of them is found in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27. Let's read that. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or controlled or not going overboard and is temperate in all things. Now they do it, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown or a crown that will not disappear, last forever. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Of course, uh, Paul, in writing that, was talking about he, he as a preacher knew that the standard was high for him, and he didn't want to uh, make a mistake by committing some kind of sin or doing something by not following the way of Christ. He didn't want to disqualify himself as, for, for being able to preach. So he said he had to be careful and basically... Um, bring his body in subjection, bring his, his life under the control of Christ all the time. So, so that's one passage. Now let's look at another one that's talking about this metaphor of racing. Philippians chapter 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or, or arrived, or got, gotten to the end of what 
I, I want to be doing. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that sounds like racing as well, pressing on towards that goal. Here's another one from 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So you've got to follow the rules of the race or you can't win the prize, even if you got first place. <clears throat> and finally, another one in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There Paul is writing Timothy and Paul realizes that his life's getting near its end and he's probably going to uh, be executed by the Romans. Um, and he's telling Timothy, I've, I've kept up the good fight all the way, and now near at the end of my life, I've, I've, I've finished the race, I've, I've kept the faith. Now, when I look at all these, I, I think that, I know in the Olympic Games, the ancient Olympic Games in Greece, it goes way back to 776 B.C., I think that's the number. And they would have the Olympics every four years, but then there were other games they did also, like every other year in Corinth, there was a certain set of games they did every other year, every second and fourth year. But Paul, Paul obviously was really familiar with all, all that, those athletics, and so he used it so much in his writing and scripture. But uh, most of those were sprints, you know, shorter distances, but some of them were longer. But when I think of, when I think of the Christian race, I think of a marathon, you know, the 26 miles plus a little bit, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but how many here have actually run a full marathon and finished? Anyone done that? No one? Are you kidding? You run, you run a marathon in high school, row and you finished? What was your time? <laughs> you don't want to tell? <laughs> you were 16. Wow. Well, anyway, maybe Raul can identify with this more than most then, because... Um, but anyway, a marathon, because it's, it's a long-term thing. It's not just done quick and over with. Isn't our Christian life like that, long-term, not just quick and done with? So, again, these are the passages that you take all these together, they sort of paint a picture. So now we ask the question, why is the Christian life like a race? When we look in these, we, let's look closely now at the different principles in these to see why is the Christian life like a race? First one we see is we need to endure or persevere in the faith. And you'll notice in our, pa our key passage that we started with, you see I have the word endurance there um, emboldened and highlighted in red. And it appears three times in there. One of them is a noun, the first one, the other two are verbs. And those are all the same Greek word. And... The Greek word there is hupomeno. It means to abide under, to remain under, to bear up courageously. In a marathon, a runner needs to hupomeno when it starts to get hard near the end of the race. He needs to bear up and keep going. Now, you probably don't think of me as being too um, dramatic and being an actor, but I want to borrow a a description from a sermon I saw one time 
that it's it's one of the more memorable ones where where the speaker described hupomeno described this greek word because if you don't see it described you maybe don't get a a good idea of what it might be like but we're going to use the we're going to use the um image of professional weightlifting so how many have seen those guys you know where there's these big burly dudes you know and they we're not just talking about exercise weightlifting. We're talking about lifting hundreds of pounds, you know, and they got to get it all the way up. So I'm going to try as best I can to copy. This, this was a, about a Russian weightlifter whose first name was Alexei. I can't remember the last name. And um, so he's, he's out there. The, the weight bar and the weights are on this mat, you know, and they're, these things are probably, I don't know, that big around diameter. Each one weighs 100 pounds. He, I think they lift like five, 600 pounds. It's an amazing amount. You know, and it's not a dead, dead lift. They even lift more. This is a lift where they go up all the way. And you know, these guys, their arms got to be three times the diameter of mine. You know, and, and they're just, they must weigh 300 pounds. They're just burly guys. You know. And you know, they get down there, and there's, there's a judge who has to look at them to make sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. They got chalk all over their hands, right? And so they don't, so the bar doesn't slip out of their hands. They get down like this, you know, and they, I think they, you know, they have to crouch. And they, they get down, you know, they're, they got to, you know, breathe and it's just right. And they got this huge belt on so they don't split their gut out when they're, you know, when they, when their muscles are squeezing as they're trying to lift. Otherwise, it seems like their intestines would blow right out of their bodies. So they got this huge, it's got this huge thing on. They're going like this. And so they, they start. And I think they go, I think they go with their, their, the back of their hands towards you like this. And so they, they grab it and they start to deadlift like this, you know, and then they get there and then they go, you know, and then they got to stand up like this, you know, and it's on their, sort of on their shoulders. And, and you see that, you know, their, their face is just straining like crazy. And um, then finally the dramatic point comes when they got to get up like this, you know, and they, they're going like this, and they got to hold it there for a certain amount of time. And their legs are quivering, and their arms are quivering. They're looking at the judge, and he's going. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the judge goes like, meaning, okay, you're done. And he goes, boom, he throws the thing down. It goes, boom, on the ground like that, on this mat. And it's going like this, and these guys rushing from the sides, trying to grab us so it doesn't roll off the platform. And, you know. Anyway, I only did it probably one-fifth as good as the guy who I saw do it. And, uh, but uh, when he's up there like this, holding it up there and waiting for the judge to say, okay, you've done enough, he's hupomenoing at that point. He's remaining under the weight, okay, and it's very stressful, but that's what he's doing. Now, he's, he's doing a short-term thing, but that, that's sort of the idea of that word. And we're told we need to run with endurance, right? Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. We'll, we'll look at the other references to it later on in the message here. So that was Alexei and, and hupomenuing under a hundreds of pounds of weight. Now, so that's one principle we got to endure and persevere in the faith. Next principle, we must always be looking toward the finish line. We must always be looking toward the finish line uh, where, where do we see that principle in here? Well, in the passage from Philippians 3, 12 to 14, 
Paul says that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's looking at the end. What, what is he trying to lay hold of? Eternal life. The reward. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. He's got the goal in mind. If we read further in Philippians, we realize that he's forgetting about his whole past when he was a Pharisee and all the different things that were to his advantage. He says, none of that means anything to me now. It's all rubbish that I may be found in Christ. I put all my confidence in Christ and what he did, and I want to follow him. So his goal is on the end, the end when this life is over and we're fully and finally saved in all the aspects of what salvation is. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, you don't have to turn to it. I don't have it on the slides, but uh, it's just it's that reference to where Paul is saying, we don't fix our eyes on the things we can't see, on what's unseen, but I mean what's on, what we can see, but on what's unseen, because the things we can see are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We're fixing our eyes on those. We're keeping our mind on that. What's another principle? There are rules that must be followed God's will revealed in Scripture. We can't live the Christian life if we just want to live it any way we please, right? God's laid out for us what it looks like, what we're supposed to do. His will is revealed in Scripture. And where do we see that from um, these passages we read? 2 Timothy 2.5. You can't be crowned unless you compete according to the rules. You don't get the prize unless you compete according to the rules. Where are some other similar passages that uh, would remind us of that? Well, Pastor Dave just got done speaking on the Sermon on the Mount a few weeks back, and near the end of there, there's a place where Jesus is talking about people who have lived their lives, and they're, they're standing before him, and they say, look at all the great things we did in your name, O Lord. And with surprise, they hear him say, I don't know you. Go away from me, you who practice lawlessness. The point that they, they thought they were living for God, but they thought it was okay to embrace sin and lawlessness as well. And, they, and you can't mix the two. And they found out that they really didn't know him because they really didn't do his will. They thought they were doing his will, but they really weren't. They weren't, they weren't um, competing according to the rules. Uh, 1 John 2, 17 says the same thing, where it says, you know, the world and its desires are going to pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So all these different things that the world would have us go after, no, that's not according to the rules. We do it God's way, we get the prize. All right. There's another principle. Discipline is a key part of living the faith. Discipline is a key part of living the faith. Where was that in these passages? One that First Corinthians chapter nine, one it's verse twenty-five. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Temperate meaning, you know, balanced. The old-fashioned word for um, Instead of being drunk, being sober, you know, you're, you're temperate, you're, you're not out on the extreme, you're, you're controlled. Um, and so you have to be disciplined, temperate in all things, so that they can train. And in verse 27, by discipline my body and bring it into subjection. 
So there's the metaphor of the discipline, the training. That the, it, it, in other words, it doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen lackadaisically. Uh, our Christian life happens as we make a focused effort of, and discipline ourselves to do the things that God would have us do. And, of course, that's hard, as we'll, as we'll see. So, um, finally, another fifth principle we see in here. The race needs to be finished. The faith continues all the way to receiving the promise. So, so you've got to finish the race. It does no good to run the marathon 25 miles and stop and not do the final mile. You're not going to get the, the ribbon or whatever you get for completing it. Uh, you, you, you've got to finish. And uh, where do we see that? 2 Timothy 4, 7, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. So we see a, a picture as painted of what this race looks like and why it's like a race, why we use that metaphor. If you look at Hebrews 10, I could have you turn there. If you go back just a couple chapters, Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, true faith perseveres to the end. It says there, the writer's saying, trying to encourage them, saying, therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward if you have need of endurance, there's that word again, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry or delay. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. He's basically saying that endurance to the end, all the way, is true faith, instead of drawing back and and giving up before the end of the race. So I have a second story for you here. This is a a real-life story that I got to take part in. Uh, It was the Seattle Marathon, 1996. I was a bachelor, hadn't even met Ruthanna yet. Uh, I lived with two roommates, and one of them was my best man. His name was Pete, and he was, I think, around 36, 37 at the time, and he had never run a marathon. He'd done some half marathons, but never done a full one. We wanted to try doing it that year. So we're down there in November. It was a sort of a cool, rainy day. And they, they sort of run all the way around the upper part of Lake Washington, 26 miles, and, and near University of, of Washington. Anyway, he had said at the beginning, we, my, the other roommate and I had gone down to, to be with him and encourage him through the race. And Pete had said at the beginning of the race, he said, if I, if I talk like I want to stop, don't let me. Do not let me stop, no matter what. And so that's what he said at the beginning. So we would keep you know, driving into a place where we would pat, you'd pass him and then wait for him until he came by on the trail and cheer him on. Then we'd drive ahead another few miles and wait. You know. And so it was getting near the end. He'd, he'd pass the so-called brick wall at mile 17 where the body just starts crying out because it's getting short on nutrients. And... Uh, he was about two miles from the end, just north of um, the university, somewhere near Sandpoint or something. And, and they, they have these, um, every, you know, every so often they have a, a refreshment stop where they can get water or nutrition. And um, they have these little honey bucket things, you know, where they can go to the bathroom if they have to. And uh, he had, we had gotten to this point, 
and he had arrived, and he, at this point, he was probably only going about this fast at this point, you know. And he had to, had to sit in the, the Johnny on the spotty. And he wasn't sitting in there to go to the bathroom. He was sitting there because he was vomiting. Not a lot, just a little bit. He's vomiting in the, the receptacle. Uh, he was sitting on the toilet and vomiting in that other receptacle, if you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, <laughs> anyway. And, and, we're, and he's, he's talking like he just can't finish. And Derek and I, Derek's the other roommate, Derek and I are saying, no, Pete, you, you told us to, to not let you stop. And I said, I, we, I asked him if he, because he was asking me if, he, if I thought he should stop. And I said, well, what do you think? What did you say at the beginning? We're not, we're not going to let you stop. Do you, you want to stop? And he, he wasn't going to say himself, I'm going to stop. But he was looking to see if we were going to give him an out and say, well, it's okay to us if you do. I, we realize it's getting hard for you. But he said, he told us not to let you. He, so he, and he was really grumpy. Pete is a, probably about a 200-pound guy, six foot one six or so, six foot two. Pretty big guy. could be a football player. And so he's sitting there, and he's, grump, he's, he's sort of grumpy because he wasn't having fun at all by this point, 24 miles into it. And, uh, but we, we told him, you've you got to finish. He said you're going to finish. You, you stressed that so much. So finally, after about five, ten minutes, he got up, and he finished the final two miles basically just walking like this. He, he couldn't run anymore. You know? And when he finally came across that finish line, you know, it was, I think it was five hours into it or something, because you know, he... Those final few miles took him so long, but he did finish, and there were still other people finishing behind him. But the point is, he finished. Now, our focus today is not to look at the, in our passage there, when it talks about, let's lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles. The focus is not to look at the sin that easily entangles, because that, that that's a huge thing. We know that stops us from living the Christian life. But I want to look at the other one before it, that's, that's the non-sinful things that still hinder us from running the race. So there are non-sinful things which will hinder us, not necessarily from running their ways, but will hinder us from running it as well as we could. It won't necessarily stop us altogether, but we won't run it as well. Now, you know, in those ancient Greek races... They would train, and I think they even still do that today when they train for the races. They'll, they'll, they'll train with some light weights to, so that when their real race comes, they don't have any of that on, and then they feel like they can fly like an eagle, you know, run, you know, run swift because they've taken that off, and they've sort of trained their body, and then it gives them, gives them more power. Well, uh, they did that back then, and also they took off pretty much almost all their clothing, if not all of it, so there is absolutely no resistance. And, uh, and that's sort of the, the picture, the metaphor that the writer's given here, that they, they cast all that aside so then they could run without any interference. That translates over to our Christian life, of course. The Greek word for, the, for that weight, onkos, I think it's at the bottom there. Whoops, let's see. There's our passage again. The key passage in red, let us lay aside every weight. That word weight, Onkos uh, is a bulk or a mass. So in the metaphor, it's uh, like an encumbrance or a weight. It's something that, that slows us down. It, uh, 
So we can't run as well as we could otherwise. So the obvious question here is, if it's something that's slowing us down, is it good? Well, no. <laughs> but do we understand that enough to, to want to throw it aside, to lay it, to lay it aside? Well, what are these weights that are being referred to? You know, if we know what the race is supposed to look like and how it's lived out in a Christian's life, then we can know what the weights look like. So that's my, if we're going to find out what the weights are, let's get even a better idea of what the race looks like. So there's those five points that we just got done looking at that we can see from our passage that describe the race. Now we're going to apply these to things, general things that we're supposed to be doing in the Christian life. All right? And, and all these things are things that are expected of us in our Christian life. As a foundation, it's, the writer says the race is set before us. Right? You know, God, this, this word for set before us appears several times too, and that's exactly what it means. It's, it's like coming up and I came up to you and you were standing here and I put this cup of water. I just set that before you. That's exactly what it's saying. So what, um, what the Holy Spirit is inspiring here, the writer to say, is that God has placed this race in front of us. And, and he's placed salvation in front of us. Christ has done the work on that cross. He died, was buried, rose again. He's, he's finished that, that work so that we can be forgiven for our sin. And, and now there's a promise that if we put our faith in that, <clears throat> we'll get the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live the way God wants us to live. God, God has said, that's my salvation package. I'm, it's right here in front of you now. What are you going to do with it? Are you, going to, are you going to walk into it, move into it, and run with it? according to my terms, or are you going to ignore it and invent your own version of Christianity where maybe you can just believe, but you can do all kinds of things you want to do, and it really doesn't matter because Christ will see it makes no difference in the end. Uh, God's package is, I, I love you, I know, I know you're lost, I know that Sin has made a fiasco of life, and but I love you right where you are, but too much to leave you there. I want you to become like my son, Lord Jesus, and I'm going to give you all the grace and power to do that if you'll just come and surrender to me and give me glory. I'll, I'll see to it that this happens for you. Is that what you want to do? That's what he lays before us. He, he set that offer before us. And, and so it's marked out. Another translation says the race marked out for us. God's clearly said what it's supposed to look like. So that's a foundation. And let's look at um, some of the other things that this would apply to now. This is what's set before us. There's the, where it's highlighted in the passage. Now, second point. I'm going to give five more points here, and 
they come from, back when I was in my early 20s, I was in a discipleship group called the Navigators. I wasn't at the Navigators, they're based in Colorado Springs, but they had this program called the 2-7 Discipleship Series. It was from Colossians 2-7, and it talked about, it says, now, now that you believe in the Lord, be, be rooted in, in him, built up in the faith, established as you're taught. So it was a program to, to help people to grow in their faith and actually be disciples instead of just weak Christians, to grow and be a disciple. And it was a series of books we went through. And, and the, they had this, this um, image that sort of um, summarized the whole um, look of the Christian life. And because it's the navigators, the idea of a captain navigating a ship, they had this ship's steering wheel, you know, with the round uh, rim like this in the center, and then the, the, it had four handholds coming off, you know, for turning like that. And the, the middle was Christ the center, you know, he was the, he was the whole reason why we're living this life. And then there were four spokes and going out to the edge. And the, the vertical spokes were, one of them was the word, which is growing in knowledge and understanding by learning the scriptures. Obviously, if we don't know this, then, then there's no way we can know what the Christian life's about. We can't live it properly. We've we got to know this. And obviously, people who are professionals like Dave know it really well, but that doesn't excuse the rest of us for knowing it as, as good as we can. We've got to know it, otherwise we'll be, we'll be tossed to and fro. So, so one of the spokes was the word, and the, another one was um, prayer. I think the prayer was the one going up and the word was the one going down. And the reason those are vertical is they said that had to do with your relationship to God. You know, pointing up. If you're, as you, re, you relate to God through prayer and the word. Those two things. And, and, and they can't be taken lightly. I just got done um, covering for Pastor Dave's Sunday School class a couple months ago and we did a five-week thing on prayer and talked about why it's so important. And after getting done with that, it's like I've realized, you know, the, the prayer is, is an aspect of this race that requires that endurance and that perseverance because it just isn't going to happen. It's not going to work right if it's a lackadaisical thing. So that's what those, those are vertical spokes. And then there was um, two horizontal spokes. One was, uh, well, the principle, love and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ that was, uh, one spoke was fellowship. So fellowship just covers the whole gamut. We're, we're in fellowship this morning. That, we're doing that right now. And we each try to use our gifts that God's given us to, to help our brothers and sisters, to lift them up, to edify is the, the biblical word, to help us all grow. We serve each other. We encourage each other. We, we do all these different things to grow together as a body of believers so that we'll become more and more like the Lord. And glorify him. And so that's fellowship. And then the final spoke going out the other way, horizontal, was uh, had to do with um, witnessing, be a witness of Christ to this lost world. And those were horizontal because they had to do with your relationship with your fellow human beings. One of them was your relationship with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. The other was your relationship with the lost world. So those four things did a really good job of summarizing what our Christian life is supposed to be about. And then they had a final one, the, the rim of the, of the steering wheel all the way around, 
was labeled obedience to Christ. Obedience to Christ. Because that, that makes it all work. If, if we don't want to surrender to him and follow him on every point that he shows us, then the other things don't work. It, it holds them all together. <clears throat> so obey God by submitting to his will with every fiber of your being. I, I've come to realize that obedience to God is not as simple as just saying, okay, God, I'll do that. Uh, sometimes it means surrendering, and it hurts to surrender, but i got to do it with every fiber of my being. And when I finally do, I break through to where I get the grace. So something to think about is, in all those aspects of the Christian life, what is common to all those? If we're going to do those well, what's common to them? Well, there's a need for time and effort and sacrifice. And these weights that we're going to get to, the things that need to be laid aside, they hinder us from running. They would steal our time, dampen our effort, and make us avoid the sacrifice. Obviously, sin will do that, right? And sin just sort of makes us stop running the race altogether every, every time until it's confessed. But there's these things that, that slow us down, steal our time, dampen our efforts, and make us want to avoid sacrifice. And the interesting thing is, that I think those weights, they can become sinful if they're held on to long enough. Next slide. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> So let's look at some, I, I made a list of seven different areas of life that I felt could be weights. Not necessarily sin, but just things that life can have that will, will keep us from living out Christianity as best as we can. So I want to start off with traditions. Now when the writer in Hebrews, the context he's writing about is to these Hebrews who got to get away from this Old Testament law. That, that system has passed away. It's, they're not to be living that way anymore. They're to be having the Spirit of God now and living in love and not bound by all that legalistic stuff. And Paul often refers to all that as traditions of the elders, you know, the... the, the um, Feudal traditions passed down to you from your forefathers. You know, so that for them, that's, that was the main thing that they were looking at when they were thinking of a weight that's going to keep us from stopping, running this race. But, but for us, what does that look like? I mean, I, I'm not going to step on toes this morning because you're, 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 um, you're lucky because I, I didn't have enough time to try to think about a lot of specific examples of these things. I could name off specific examples all over the place, and then someone might feel like I'm stepping on their toes. So I've, I've avoided that, because I think that we can all apply these to our life and think about, are these things in my life, and do they, are they a weight, and do they hinder me? And so in the, when it comes to traditions, I can just bring up one example, one example that a lot of us can probably identify with, and that's, it's coming up, the holiday season's coming up, and there's a lot of Christmas traditions 
nothing wrong with Christmas. We're all aware of that. Um, But if the tradition of it and all the different things that are done in that time uh, become things that take our focus away from God, away from worshiping him, then those are weights, right? The traditions might not be sinful. There might, might be just things that are observed, activities that are done, but if they, because we hear that happen so much that it gets so busy, there's so much going on that let's, let's make sure we don't leave the Christ out of Christmas and uh, we don't want to do that. And it, but it happens because of all the things going on that we feel like we've got to do because they're traditional. So God, see, in our place here in the world, we see all these things and we feel, we feel pressure to conform because of all the expectations of everyone around us. But when God looks at it, is, is he, how, how much does, is God concerned about whether we have Christmas lights on our house or whether we have this or that or, or any other number of things? He's concerned about what? At that, at that time of the year, as with pretty much all the year, he's concerned what? That we are worshiping the fact that he gave the Son of God to be incarnated, to come into this world Right? So that, that is the, the main focus of that, that time of year. So that, that's all he's looking at. All the other things are, are fluff in, in his eyes because he's concerned about the, the worship part of it. Are we worshiping him in it? That's an example I could think of. I don't know. What, you know we all have different traditions. We, grew up, we all grew up in families that did different things, traditions, and we've carried those on. And it's something that you can think about and, tr- and try to apply uh, because what they do is they can steal our time. They can s- dampen our effort or steal our energy. And, and then if we love a lot of these things too much, we don't want to sacrifice them. And a lot of times to serve God, to, to really run the race well, we got to sacrifice. And there's, if there's things we don't want to sacrifice, then we find out we can't run the race. I mean, sometimes we run up against a wall where it's like either or, and then we have to decide. So that, that's one, one, one area where there could be a weight. What's another one? Cultural expectations. What do I mean by that? Cultural expectations. Well, where everyone lives in a culture of some kind, we live in the American culture. Now, what is the, if you were to sum up what the American culture is, one, one word I could think of is the American dream. The idea that we can get to a certain level of affluence and have all these different things that we'd like to have. But a lot of those things, if you could eliminate all the bad things that our fallen world culture would say we need. I'm just talking about the good, the, the amoral or the good things of, of the American dream that are things that would be nice to have, but if we latch onto them, they, they become idols, right? They keep us from God. And there's a lot of them, whatever it is, whether it's um, the type of job I have, the, the type of family I have, the two cars in the garage, the two chickens in every pot, for those who are really old, <laughs> that's a saying from the, after the Depression era. But uh, just, the, just the, thing that, the, the things that culture says we need to have if we are going to be happy. And do we really need that? Paul said somewhere, he said, if I have food and clothing, with these I'll be content, right? Do we really think that way in, in American culture? 
I, I think that, that this, I, I, I look at this one, I, I constantly try to look at this one in my life, because I've got a house, I've got property, I've got two cars in the garage, I have a garage to put the cars in, um, got married, have a family, two boys, I got, I got a lot of those things, but I don't have a lot of toys uh, because I don't have the money to have a lot of toys. And even if I did, I don't think I, I would have the time to have the toys. But um, I, I try to say, where's the limit? Where am I going too far in trying to get all this stuff that culture thinks I should have? And I, 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 think, I've, I think I'm pretty content where I'm at. I'm always trying to be vigilant because there's always the, the idea that I need another thing, I need another thing, I need the next thing. So, there, and, and again, that stuff takes up my time, it takes up my energy, and I may not want to sacrifice it so that I can't run the race. Now, I, I felt, I felt the, the pressing of that even in trying to get this message ready because this took time to get it ready, it took effort, it took energy. And so that means there's other things that did not have to, could not happen and that had to be let go of. And I had to decide, are there other, other things in my life that, that don't need to be there that would give me more time so I could do this? Because I had to sort of do some sacrificing to be able to do this. Uh, you know, not get as much sleep, not spend as much time with the boys kind of thing. But maybe there's other things that I'm not, looking at that if they weren't going on or weren't there, then I would have enough time for sleep and the boys and to do this. So that, that's, and again, think of the American dream, the, the cultural expectation, and does it get in the way, is it a weight? What's another one? The cares of life. The cares of life. Jesus in the parable of the sower, he mentioned that as uh, one of the things, one of the problems. And it was, uh, you know, he was talking about the soil that... Is has thorns in it. Now, thorns grow up with the, with the good seed and it chokes it out. And that was like a person who, because of the worries or cares of life and the deceitfulness of riches, it chokes out the fruitfulness of the word of God. Well, how does it choke it out? It's because in order to maintain and give attention to life too much to the point where you're worrying... Or if, you're, or if riches are the goal, in order to maintain attention on all that, you can't maintain attention and pursuit of that and give that navigator's wheel, you can't give that enough attention if all the other stuff is getting attention. There's just no way. God, God has sort of set up, he set this race before us, he set it up in such a way that we can't grab both of them. You know, if we're really going to run the race right, there's just a, it, it's a constant test. It's like, you know, you want to run my race, child of God? Well, then you can't have this and you can't have that because if you try to have that, you're not going to be able to run this race. And so he keeps giving us a choice. And, and every time it's something that it may not be sinful, but if we want to cling to it and cling to it long enough, it does become sinful. It becomes an idol. And it, it, the race stops. So I try to simplify life as much as possible so that it doesn't control me, but so that I can control it. It, it would be easy to, to, let, um, to worry about life and let so many things go on 
and eventually I feel like it's a big swirling mass <laughs> and I don't have any control and then I can't even concentrate on the navigator's wheel, the, the word and the prayer, fellowship and witnessing and obedience because it's just too much. The, 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 the running the race of the Christian life takes that effort and, and discipline and endurance to the point that we, we, need, we need time with God in prayer and to be in his word so we keep getting that energy and grace to do that. That's what I found out from studying and, from, and teaching on it. And, and so that's why if, if my prayer life is weak and wimpy, I can't expect God to be in the other things I'm doing. I can't expect to be getting the, the grace I need to have the energy and strength to, to run this race. And so I just coo out. Uh, the prayer life is like the power plant of my Christian life. And if I don't have it, I don't have the energy to run that race. There's, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I can't have the prayer life I need if my life is so full of many, so many other cares that it just saps that time away. What about, now here's the one where we can really step on toes if I want to. Leisure activity, ouch. <laughs> leisure is what? Leisure is the, the time we have left over when we've done all the things that we need to do or have to do. There's a lot of things in life we've got to do, right? We've got, we got chores, we've got jobs, we raise kids, take care of elderly parents, just a lot, all kinds of responsibilities we have, maintaining property. Um, it's just the things that we need to do to be responsible. But in our culture, because of our, it's advanced, we have technology, we can save a lot of time doing all those things. So we've got time left over, right? We, we have probably more time than most people in the world because so many people are spending, have to spend so much time surviving. We don't as, as much. So we have a lot of this leisure time well, what do we do with it? If, if we had the mind of Christ, if we had the mind of the runner of the race, we'd be glad for the leisure time because then we would have a lot more time for what? We would have a lot more time for the things on that wheel, right? But, uh, but what do we tend to do? We tend to take up one thing and then another and another, and pretty soon we, we have a whole you know, spectrum of these different things to do with leisure time and the things we do are, you know, pretty much revolve around entertainment, pleasure, could be sports, could be hobbies, you know. And they're all fun and enjoyable. But, well, again, that, so we're, I'm not sure I'm not saying that we should never do those things. It's the issue of, is there a balance? And what's the priority? If, if I'm trying to run this race, and I realize that I'm not running it well, but I've got plenty of time for all my leisure things, then I need to stop and, and take a stock and take attention and ask myself, okay, what's priority for me? Is it, is it the things of God? Is it the things that my flesh doesn't want to do because the spirit's willing but the flesh is weak? Or is it um, all these things I want to do? Leisure activity. Entrenched lifestyle. Uh, just habits of life we develop. That we, we set our lives up in a certain way and we get used to living that way, and then we don't even question or think about how we live it, and we realize that the way we're living it um, saps our time, and then we don't have the time to give to God that we need to. And uh, you call it living in a rut. Uh, it's just—it's sort of a nebulous one, but um, 
just not paying attention to what we get in habits. And if we don't question our habits, then we may not realize how much they're weights. What about life goals? Now, we usually like to think of goals as good things, right? It's good to have a goal. If you don't, if you're not aiming for something, you have nothing to shoot at, you're just going to float around aimlessly. It's good to have a goal. Well, the goal needs to be centered on Christ and the kingdom of God, right? So, what are life goals that might not be centered on the kingdom of God? Well, here's a few just to think of. It could be whatever business I'm involved in, and the business I'm involved in could take up such a great part of my life that I have no time for the things on the, the, that navigator's wheel. Uh, it could be how I want to get educated or schooled, and where's that going to take my life? Am I going to be able to use it to serve God, or is it something that has no relation to being able to serve God? Uh, something I want to accomplishment, something I want to accomplish in life. Well, maybe I want to climb all the seven highest peaks on the seven continents. <laughs> is, is that that might be an amazing thing if, when someone does that? But it, how much importance does that have if we're going to be running this race? It, it isn't up there too high. It gets in the way. I'm going to have a goal about retirement, when I want to retire, what, my, what I want my life to look like when I retire. But if, I, if it saps, let's say I need to earn enough money and save enough money so I can have a certain type of retirement, and the process of earning all that money and doing all that and preparing all that saps all my time and strength so that I don't have time to give to God, it's a weight. <clears throat> Marriage, children can be a weight if we're looking at them the wrong way. If, if we don't see those things as a, as a means to glorify God and to learn how to become like Christ, then they're, then they're a weight. Unfortunately, we can't throw those aside. We can change the way we deal with them. We can't throw them off. <clears throat> Busyness is the last one on my list. Busyness. Um, there's something about our American culture, right, that seems to glorify being active and being busy and having a lot of things you're involved in. And even if it's Christian things, if, if it cuts out the word of God in prayer especially, it's not worth it. I, I would think that the word of God and prayer are the two primary things, and then that flows out into your fellowship and your witnessing. And there's where you can be doing a lot of activity. But if the fellowship and the witnessing is so, if it fills my life up so much that I, in neglecting the power plant, prayer and the word, then it's upside down. So it can become a weight, if not under control. And of course, that was referring to things that are of a Christian nature, let alone all the um, activities we could be doing there, just the cultural things of the world. You, know, you can open the, you know, in the, in the paper, they, they always provide a section every so often that says all these different events going on all over the place. And there, there's an endless number of things we can be involved in that if you wanted to, they, they could just take all your time and energy. And we just can't, can't let that happen if you want to run the race. Well, you know what, it's, there's, there's so many things that would make it seem difficult that 
we have to look to our supreme example, don't we? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's in verse 2 of our key text. Looking at this a little bit more. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, that's the exact same word as right up above where it says the race is set before us. Jesus had joy set before him. The joy of what? Of, of accomplishing salvation, knowing that the Father was going to use him to bring the children of God into the kingdom and that he'd have them forever and that he was going to be exalted at the right hand of God. And God was giving him basically all things, you know, the, the, the gift of the Father to the Son because the Son did the Father's will. It's amazing. And uh, that was such a joy for him that he, was, he endured his mission, right? And his mission wasn't easy. I don't, I don't think there's anyone alive, I don't think there's anyone in this room today who's had to go on a mission like Jesus went on, <laughs> knowing that you're going to die a horrible death at the end of your life and be rejected, and, and all the while leading up to that being um, resisted, and because look what we see as we go on. For consider him who endured, there's that word endure, such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. What was the hostility he endured? It's not just talking about the cross, you know, that Passion Week, but it's talking about the, all the years of his ministry where the Pharisees were just constantly assailing him and challenging him, and he had to do a lot of things, you know, out of the limelight as much as he could because of that. And so... He was willing to put up with all that and, and fulfill his work that the Father gave him to do because of what was set before him. And, and that is the supreme example, isn't it? And, and if we can look to him and know that, because when it says that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith, highlighted in red there, the finisher, the completer, the perfecter, He's the author of it. He, he, he laid it out, and then he, he did the mission so that he could perfect it, and now we have to travel the same path. He was the leader. He blazed the trail. We travel the same path. He has run that race. He's done it. He's finished. He kept his eye on the finish line the entire time. He finished victoriously. Now are we going to do it as well, following him, and if we do, what blessings do we get? Those who run the Christian race successfully can expect assurance of salvation. I've got three things here. Assurance of salvation, what is that? Is that being saved? No. Do we have, do we have to, is this, is this how we get saved by running this race? No, we get saved by our faith in, alone in Christ alone, what he did on the cross for us. And then when we truly have faith in that and surrender to him, we get the grace to, to let God do with us what he wants to do with us. Why did he save us? So that he can make us to be like Christ. And so are we going to do that? Well, if we submit to the process, then we get this assurance that we know we're going to heaven. But if we won't submit to the process, we might believe and have faith that he died for us but we won't submit to that process of change, that discipleship. We never really get a, a strong assurance 
that he's changing us, that, that he's, he's doing that part of salvation where we're being set apart, being made like Christ. So, so when we don't do that, we just, there's an emotional sense of, well, am I really, am I really one of his? Am I really on the way to heaven because of, of not really doing his will? When we run the race, we get assurance. When we run the race, we, will, we are going to get eternal rewards. And, you know, it's sometimes I, I try to sit and think about what would these rewards be like? And it's so hard to grasp in this life what that next will be like. But just try to imagine that we're going to be in a place where there'll be no more sin, nothing that hinders our, our relating to each other. We'll be able to relate with complete love and joy of emotion and, and uh, intellect. And there won't be anything to hinder us. No feelings of guilt or remorse. Uh, the, the wonders of God laid out before us forever. I mean, he's the creator. He's got a whole universe he's made. We've just spent all our life on this one planet. We have no, can't even fathom what he's got ready for us. You know? And that we'll get to run it. We'll get to rule it and operate it for him and for his glory and with him. Uh, without feeling like we're, we don't have the ability or, the, or like we're inadequate. We'll have full adequacy. We'll, you know, we'll have full joy in doing all that. Uh, and it won't fade away. So, so often in our life here, when, when something seems so good seems to be happening, it's so short-lived and then it fades. The feeling of it fades, the wonder of it fades. There, there it won't fade. That's a supernatural thing that, that is reserved for, for our eternal life. And the rewards that we'll get are the things that he's going to give us, certain things we don't know exactly, privileges, positions, things that he's going to give us are going to last forever. And apparently that we won't have if we haven't run the race the right way. We're, we're, we, might, we may get there, but we may not have many or any rewards and how that plays out exactly isn't all clear. But that's why it's good to meditate on eternal life and think about what's waiting for us so that we'll be motivated to, to strive for him. Now, well, there's one more. If we, if we run the race the way God expects, we'll be transformed into the image of Christ. That's how it happens. If we're weighed down by sin, weighed down by feeling like we're not like him, well, then the answer is think about how you're going to run this race instead of ignoring it. <clears throat> Let's um, have a word of prayer. Think about um, what we just said here. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is a, it's an easy thing but a hard thing to be your child it's easy because Jesus won it for us. It's easy because you give us all the grace and, and power that we need because of your spirit, all the forgiveness we need. You give, you give all that to us, Lord. It's free. All we got to do is believe and surrender. But it's hard also because of what you expect of us now that we're 
forgiven. You want to make us like your son. You want that so much. That's your purpose. Because you don't intend heaven to be populated with ungodly people. You intend it to be populated with people who are just like your son. And that would be such a wonderful thing. But Lord, it's hard. It's hard running this race here in this life as this world presses in on every side of us. Our flesh is weak. The evil one always harasses us. Help us. Help us to encourage one another to hupomeno, to endure, to press on, to lay aside these things that get in the way. Help us to see what those things are, Lord. Help us not to forget what we've heard today. We know your promise is true that if we will draw near to you and and do your will, your way, that you will answer, you will bless, you will help us change where we need to change. Thank you for that great hope and that promise. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.